You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early, so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts, so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Welcome back to the Reading and Writing Podcast. My guest today is best-selling writer, Jonathan Kellerman. Jonathan's first novel, When the Bow Breaks, was published in 1985 and introduced the characters Alex Delaware and police detective Milo Sturgis. The book became a New York Times bestseller and won the Edgar Allan Poe and Anthony Boucher Awards for Best First Novel. And since that first novel, Jonathan has written numerous bestselling novels, including several thriller novels co-written with his son, Jesse Kellerman, and he's collaborated with his wife, who's also a best-selling novelist, Faye Kellerman. Jonathan's latest Alex Delaware novel, City of the Dead, the 37th Alex Delaware novel, has just been published. Jonathan, welcome to the podcast. It's great to be here, Jeff. Absolutely. Well, it's great to have you. And if someone hasn't yet heard about your new Alex Delaware novel, City of the Dead, how would you describe the novel? Well, if, if they're longstanding Delaware fans, it's classic Delaware. It's, it's Alex Delaware, who is a brilliant psychologist, and Milo Sturgis, a brilliant homicide detective, collaborating to solve very puzzling and bizarre crimes. And, and this one, I think the key to this novel is, uh, is the motive, which is not revealed until the end, and I, no one has guessed it yet. Um, I, I play fair with readers, but... Um, I try to create a story that is intriguing. You know, it's it's kind of interesting because I think the Delaware series is the longest-running American crime series. Period. There are thirty-seven of that book alone of of that series alone, and I've just been really, really gratified at the reception that uh, that these guys have received since nineteen eighty-five. So, uh, you know, I was very pleased because you know the book shot up to the top of the bestseller list immediately, which is always nice to be appreciated. And the reviews uh, were saying, you know, this is the 37th, but, you know, Kellerman is not phoning it in. So it's, it's, that's what I do. I, I, I treat each, each novel as a new novel, and I, and I take each one seriously. Well, well, on that note, I'm curious, how do you keep it fresh after 37 books? Do you do you ever get into writing one and, and think like, oh, I've done this before or, or want to start over? How, how do you keep it fresh after 37? Well, it's interesting because Diller is an interesting character. I've always conceived him. He, like me, is trained as a psychologist. And, and as a psychologist, when I was a therapist and I, I worked with children and families, the key was to keep myself out of it. If you would come into my office, 
You would never have seen pictures of my family or anything other than diplomas, basically, uh, because it was always the focus was always on the patients. And I think I use that as a model. Yes, Delaware is an interesting guy, and there have been books in the series, specifically the fourth novel, Silent Partner, uh, and a few others where he is the protagonist. And the reason that is true is by the fourth book, I realized I was probably going to write a series and I wanted to learn more about him. But in general, I parcel out information about him in a very, very gradual manner over 37 novels. So I see him as a vehicle. For telling a certain type of story. And, and the kind of stories that I like to tell deal with the human behavior. And I think human behavior is always interesting. So there's no shortage of great stories out there. Uh, the key is to fashion great ideas into a novel. And the way I work is writing novels, a year long process. And about half of that time is spent planning and thinking and outlining. So once I sit down to write them, I'm pretty gung-ho and pretty enthusiastic, and I, I still enjoy it, which is the only reason to do it. Great, Graham Greene said that when a writer turns 60, the only reasons to write are, are fun and money, hopefully both. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm way past 60, and I'm still having a good time. And I think the fact that I'm having a good time, uh, hopefully, is evident to readers, and they will have a good time, too. Sure. Do you remember the original impetus or idea that led you to write City of the Dead? Isn't it ever one, one thing? It's always, I think, you know, one of the questions that, that I always get asked is, how come your books, you know, you have like 100 million books in print. Why haven't they been turned into movies and TV shows? And of course, I've had lots of deals that have fallen through and blah, blah, blah. But part of it is that the books cannot be summed up in one or two sentences. Sure. There are people who write fantastic books like the late Michael Crichton, that can be summed up. They're high concept books. My books are not like that. And, and I think that's, that's really the reason they can't be, they can't be pinned down. So I don't start with one idea. I start with characters. I start with thinking about things, uh, because I am 72 and a half, have no short-term memory. I write everything down when I get a good idea right now, I have files with nearly a hundred ideas for books. And, uh, even though my mother's 102 and I'm, I'm, I'm hoping to live a long time. I doubt I'm going to be able to write more than a small proportion of those hundred books. So there's no shortage of ideas, but it's not a single germ. It's, it's a combination of characters and themes. And just, I, I, I think my, the closest I would say is the great British writer, Ruth, Ruth Rendell, who I admired so much because she also wrote about human behavior and psychology in a wonderful way. And that's what I'm trying to do. It's just a novel in which crime is the impetus to get the action, but it's still just a book about people. Sure. Well, you just, you mentioned earlier that you take uh, like half a year, I think you said six months to, to kind of plan yeah. an outline. Can you tell us a little bit about that process? Are you, are you writing yeah. a chapter by chapter outline or how does that work for you once you start writing? Well, it's, it's a very, what I found is, when I'm ready to do a new book, and sometimes it even happens when I'm finishing up another book, I get this notion of what I want to write about. And I do a lot of thinking. And I wake up at three in the morning. And I jot down notes on scraps of paper. And then slowly but surely, it takes shape. As it takes shape, I do a general outline, which I then send 
into my publisher with a great um, impetus because they pay me for for the outline. And then I sit down and do a chapter by chapter outline, which I really plan out the book in a meticulous manner. Now, the interesting thing is once I've done the outline, there are times when I rarely look at it. And often I will finish a novel, go back and look at the outline. It's a totally separate book. So I think what the outline does, it's a confidence builder. Uh, people ask about writer's block. Uh, the late, great Robert B. Parker, who wrote the Spencer series, was full of great lines. And, and, and I remember being, being with him once and someone asked him about writer's block. And he said, when you call a plumber for a clock toilet, does he said he has plumber's block? So, so he was scornful of the whole notion. I, I can say also I've never experienced writer's block because I don't sit down to write it until I'm ready and I know where I'm going. But it changes because as I get to know characters, I decide they're different than I had initially thought. So, so there is that chapter by chapter outline, which is a great confidence builder and a great general sense of framework. And once I'm really happy and I feel I, I have a good handle on the story, then I sit down and begin writing the book, which I've just done on a new book. So, you know. <laughs> Actually, you know, COVID is, COVID's been bizarre. Uh, and my editor just said that, that a lot of writers are really blocking and depressed. And I, you know, I, I hate to say, but I, I'm not a depressive type of guy. I'm a very cheerful guy, despite the dark themes of some of my novels. And COVID has been restrictive of all of us. There's no question. It's been bizarre. But I've written a lot of books. I have this book, City of the Dead, finished. And I have the book coming out in a year finished. And I have the book coming out in two years finished. So the book that I just started, which is the third done or quarter done, it's coming out in, in, in four years. So I'm kind of stockpiling <laughs> Delaware novels. What can I say? I, I like what I'm doing and, and, uh, you know, it's just been, the, it's not easy. It's hard work. I don't want to brush it off. Like it's simple because when I finish a day's work of writing, I'm really tired and I can't really do much else for a few hours, you know, except play guitar or something. So, yeah. Well, well, well on that note, I mean, uh, when we were talking earlier about your, your initial Alex Delaware novel, When the Bow Breaks, which was published in 1985. Yeah. And when you wrote that at the time, you were working full-time as a child psychologist. What was driving yes. you to write novels in your spare time? Well, I'm a compulsive writer. I'm one of those kids. I have been writing fiction since the age of eight or nine. It's just something that seems to be part of me. I can't really explain it. I just started writing little stories and little, I did have a fourth grade teacher who was immensely encouraging and telling me I'd had a lot of talent. And then I was the kid who always won the writing contests and, and I used to write essays for, for other students. And, and then I went to UCLA and I worked on the Daily Broom, the UCLA paper as a cartoonist for four years. Once I got involved in that, I started writing. And, uh, and so I did some, uh, I did some, some reviewing, some editing, some, some, some obit columns, a little bit of straight journalism. Uh, and then I won a literary award, a Goldwyn literary award when I was 21, but I was a failed, a failed writer with, and so I, I, I wrote, I think nine novels didn't get published, took me 13 years. So I was really a failed writer with a good day job because I went and got a PhD in psychology and I worked at children's hospital and I was the head of a program blah, blah, blah. Went to private practice. 
So I didn't really see that writing was going to be my job, but I've always been impelled to do it and driven to do it. And when you could sit in a garage for 13 years from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. with no reinforcement other than the satisfaction of writing stuff, which really wasn't very good and getting rejection slip after rejection slip, I could only put it down to what I said when I gave a keynote address many years ago at the American Psychological Association. I stood in front of a few thousand shrinks. I said, I stand here as evidence um, of the usefulness of the obsessive compulsive personality. <laughs> so so I, I can't explain it. It's just something I've, I've been driven to do. I, I've always loved writing. And I didn't think it was going to be a job. My first novel, The When the Bow Breaks, the one you mentioned, finally got published after, and it was written in 1981. It was by no means an easy sale, a lot of rejections. And it was, it was purchased for a very small advance payment. I calculated I got three, three bucks an hour to write the book. I could have flipped burgers at McDonald's and done better. And, uh, and I had a good practice. I was doing very, very well as a psychologist. And I remember thinking to myself, okay, I'm vindicated all those years of struggle. At least I'm not a delusional psychotic. I really am a novelist. However, I can't afford to do this too often. This, this is not lucrative. And I have, to, I have a family to support. And then to my utter shock, this book became a bestseller. And it was not supposed to be a bestseller. Publishing is a, is a game of self-fulfilling prophecy. And some books are bought as big books. This was bought as a small book, which means it got almost no marketing, no advertising, no nothing. It just became a, a word of mouth bestseller. And I was shocked. And so was my publisher. So I said, okay, I'll do another one. That became a bestseller. I said, okay, I'll do another one. That became a bestseller. You know, and like many dozen bestsellers later, who understands it? But I'm just thankful for it because I, <laughs> I love what I do. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Well, well, as you mentioned, I mean, you've sold millions of copies of books. And as you yeah. just mentioned, I mean, many of them uh, have been bestsellers. Does, yeah. does that ever enter your mind when you're sitting down to write? I mean, do you ever put pressure on yourself that, oh, you know, the, the team at my publisher is going to expect another bestseller? No, every novel I've written has been a bestseller. And I don't know how many I've done, but I've done 37 Delawares, probably another probably 50 books. I probably had between 45 and 50 bestsellers. Everyone's been a bestseller. And um, it's irrelevant to me because I just am so focused. And I, it's not just, just me. I, I speak to other successful writers, Stephen King, Dean Coons, same thing. It's all about the work. You sit down and you focus. And I'm really not concerned about commercial, you know, how, how commercial the book is, 
uh, if people are going to like this or not going to like that. I just try to write um, a story that engages me, honestly. And I, I mean, I love my readers and they're my audience, but I'm not really conscious of writing for an audience. I'm not really conscious of marketing or, or any of the business aspect. I'm just obsessively focused on writing the best book that I can. And, and there's no pressure, really, because what can I do about it? It's, it's, it's out of my hands. Sure. All, all I can do is convince myself I've done the best job possible. Gotcha. Well, uh, as I mentioned earlier, you've collaborated with both your wife and son. How has the collaboration uh-huh. process worked for you on those books? Very interesting. Faye, Faye and I, you know, Faye has written many, also many best-selling novels. I think she's written 40, 40 novels and a uh, gifted writer. And we just decided for the fun of it to try to write a couple of novellas. And we did. Uh, and what we decided, even though we we are, we've been married for almost 50 years. We live in the same house. Our offices are, I mean, maybe a hundred feet apart. We decided not to have any face-to-face meetings. Everything would be done through email. <laughs> and, and I think what we learned, and, and we had a wonderful time. We had a wonderful time. Then we decided we weren't going to do it because it was, it was just a lot of work and we want to concentrate, to concentrate on our own novel. And, but one thing we did learn is you have to take a whole different attitude from the outset, when I write a novel by myself, I'm very protective of it. It's 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 like one. It's the next thing after my children. I don't want anybody telling me how to do it. I don't want anybody messing with it. I'm very proprietary. It doesn't mean I'm not willing to accept editing, but I get very light editing, if at all, in many cases. When you collaborate, you have to understand that goes out the window, and this is a team effort. And therefore, you have to be totally open to the suggestions of your writing partner. And what Faye and I discovered, it was very comforting because if we reach a, a plot point where we felt we were, you know, painting ourselves into a quarter, we, it was like a tag team. We just tag, you're it, you know, <laughs> and the other person would come in. So we had a good experience. And then when I started writing with my son, Jesse, our, our son, who had already been an international bestseller on his own, uh, I already had training in that process. And that uh, is an ongoing process. We have an ongoing um, series, the, the Clay Edison series, and, uh, and that's going very, very well. And uh, we just have a great time. I'm very close to my son. We've always been very, very close. And except for adolescence, we got along great. <laughs> and uh, he's just, what I like it too is when you play in a band, I used to play in a band, when you gig with somebody, it, you have to real to really enjoy it. You gotta be gigging with someone who has chops, who has talent. If you're gigging with bad musicians, it's terrible. Fortunately, both my wife and my son are immensely gifted writers, so writing with them is is really a fun experience, and and we have a blast. And I can honestly say that Jesse and I, during the several years that we've collaborated, have not shared a hostile syllable. It, it's really been great. And uh, Jesse is now taking a little break because he, his fourth and fifth children were just born. Um, he has identical twin boys and he has three other kids, he and his wife. So he is really working hard doing that. So we're giving him a pass on writing novels in the first, <laughs> you know, at least until things smooth out. Sure. Well, what writing advice would you offer for those who are working on their own stories and novels? Okay. I find that when people come up to me and say, I want to be a writer, I'm not hopeful. 
because that means they what they really are into is not the work itself, but some notion they probably learned from movies about what the life of a writer is like. You know, it's some guy or some woman sitting on a balcony of a of a house up in the mountains with a laptop and a martini and celebrity status and all that stuff. They always show these book signings and everything. Now I have lived the celebrity status. I, I've done that. It, it's pretty meaningless. And the and it's actually a job. So if you want to be a writer, that makes no sense because that does that's meaningless. When people say either I love to write or I hate writing, but I have to do it, then I'm hopeful. So so that's the first step. This whole notion of having some some fantasy of being a writer is like I want to be an NBA star. Well, you know, the late great Kobe Bryant would show up early for games, practice free throws for you know hours and hours. It's hard work. And um you can't assume you're gonna make any money at it. So you have to really want to do it. Given that, the key is then to approach it as as a job with a good work ethic to organize it. One thing that that helped me when I was a failed writer, I was just using writing as therapy. Once I realized, and I did this because I was a medical school professor and I and I learned to write scientific articles which required sourcing and outlining and organization. That helped me when, when I applied that to fiction, being organized and, and being logical and just trying to make sense. So just take it seriously as a job, but enjoy the process. And the other thing is people will come up to me who have never published a book and say, how do I market? How do I advertise? You're, you know, really cart before the horse. Mm-hmm. You got to write the book. The, be- the, the, most, the best predictor of success is someone who actually finishes writing a book, actually finishes it. Most people who start don't finish because it's very, very hard and it's very discouraging. It's a very tough business. Um, I, I happen to be the guy who is able to make a living at it. I can't tell you why. I like it, like to think because I'm wonderful, but I'm sure there are other wonderful writers that have not made any, a living at it. So you have to really have a passion for it. Sure. Well, what novels or nonfiction books have you read recently that you enjoyed? I always, I'm a big fan of Ruth Rendell, the late great Baroness Rendell. And, and, when, I, and when I read fiction, first of all, the le- it's really interesting because people will send me books for a jacket blur and they send me books that are, they think are similar to mine, which is the last thing I'm going to want to read because <laughs> that's really boring. I don't read my own stuff. I want to read something really different from what I do. Now, Ruth, the late, great Ruth and I, and, and a lot of people, including Scott Turo, have termed her one of the great writers of the 20th century. Forget crime, just a great writer. Um, and we're, what we have in common is that we write about human behavior. We're, we're psychological novelists, but we do it very, very differently. Hers is very English, very full of complex language might are very american and it's 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 kind of interesting because i because i know because i knew ruth and it was very very kind to me and i and and um and i remember i had a british publisher who did a terrible thing they ran an ad campaign for my books in in the uk saying oh even better than ruth rendell and i immediately wrote to her there was no email in those days i said ruth i'm so sorry she said, oh, don't worry about it they're always trying to put a wedge between me, me and P.D. James, you know. <laughs> so when I'm reading a novel, I'll go back and re- 
Ruth Rendell. I, I like to go back and read some of the pulp novelists of the 30s, 40s, and 50s. Not necessarily the famous ones like Roscoe Connell, but he's my favorite, or Raymond Chandler. But I read people, other people I haven't heard about, names like Jonathan Latimer and Horace McCoy and, 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 and Dewey. It, it, there's a lot of great obscure writers, and I find sometimes the obscure guys are the most interesting. But I mostly read non nonfiction. I read a lot of history. I read a lot about art and music. I read a lot about nature, archaeology. I'm a very, oh, that's another thing. You want to be a novelist, be a curious person and engage, indulge your curiosity. If you're not a curious person, probably not going to make it. I have a, a great interest in everything that's going on around me. And uh, that's another reason it's not hard to find, to find things to write about because it's all over the place. It's a crazy world out there. So I, I try to, and you know, if I read a story in the paper, I couldn't care less about the, the page one story. That's already, by the time it's on page one, I don't want to deal with it. I'm, I'm interested in the page 40 story at the bottom, below the fold in an obscure local newspaper. That's interesting. Stuff that, you know, most people are not going to hear, hear about. So that's, that's, that's basically it. That's great. Well, again, we've been speaking with best-selling writer Jonathan Kellerman. Kellerman's latest Alex Delaware novel, City of the Dead, has just been published. So go buy a copy. And Jonathan, thanks for doing this interview. <laughs> totally my pleasure. Thank you for having me, Jeff. Great. Thanks a lot. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.